0: Section 5 of On the Witness Stand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ava'i in July 2021. On the Witness Stand Essays on Psychology and Crime by Hugo Munsterberg. Section 5 The Memory of the Witness, Part 3. We must always keep in mind that a content of consciousness is in itself independent of its relation to the past, and has thus in itself no mark which can indicate whether it was experienced once before or not. The feeling of belonging to our past life may associate itself thus just as well with a perfectly new idea of our imagination as with a real reproduction of an earlier state of mind. As a matter of course, the opposite can thus happen, too, that is, an earlier experience may come to our memory stripped of every reference to the past, standing before our mind like a completely new product of imagination. To point again to an apparently mysterious experience, the crystal gazer feels in his half-hypnotic state a free play of inspired imagination and yet in reality he experiences only a stirring up of the deeper layers of memory pictures they rush to his mind without any reference to their past origin picturing a timeless truth which is surprisingly correct only because it is the result of a sharpened memory yes we fill the blanks of our perceptions constantly with bits of reproduced memory material and take those reproductions for immediate impressions. In short, we never know from the material itself whether we remember, perceive, or imagine, and in the borderland regions there must result plenty of confusion which cannot always remain without dangerous consequences in the courtroom. Still another phenomenon is fairly familiar to everyone, and only the courts have not yet discovered it. There are different types of memory, which in a very crude and superficial classification might be grouped as visual, acoustical, and motor types. There are persons who can reproduce a landscape or a painting in full vivid colours and with sharp outlines throughout the field, while they would be unable to hear internally a melody or the sound of a voice. There are others with whom every tune can easily resound in recollection, and who can hardly read a letter of a friend without hearing his voice in every word, while they are utterly unable to awake an optical image. There are others again whose sensorial reproduction is poor in both respects, they feel intentions of movement, as of speaking, of writing, of acting, whenever they reconstruct past experience. In reality the number of types is much larger scores of memory variations can be discriminated let your friends describe how they have before their minds yesterday's dinner-table and the conversation around it and there will not be two whose memory shows the same scheme and method now we should not ask a short-sighted man for the slight visual details of a far-distant scene yet it cannot be safer to ask a man of the acoustical memory type for strictly optical recollections no one on the witness stand is today examined to ascertain in what directions his memory is probably trustworthy and reliable he may be asked what he has seen what he has heard what he has spoken how he has acted and yet even a most superficial test might show that the mechanism of his memory would be excellent for one of these four groups of questions and utterly useless for the others however solemnly he might keep his oath the courts will have to learn sooner or later that the individual differences of men can be tested today by the methods of experimental psychology far beyond anything which common sense and social experience suggest Modern law welcomes, for instance, for identification of criminals, all the discoveries of anatomists and physiologists as to the individual differences. Even the different play of lines in the thumb is carefully registered in wax. But no one asks for the striking differences as to those mental details which the psychological experiments on memory and attention, on feeling and imagination, on perception and discrimination, on judgment and suggestion, on emotion and volition, have brought out in the last decade. Other sciences are less slow to learn. It has been found, for instance, that the psychological speech impulse has for every individual a special character as to intonation and melody. At once the philologists came and made the most brilliant use of this psychological discovery. They have taken, for instance, whole epic texts, and examined those lines as to which it was doubtful whether they belonged originally to the poem, or were later interpolations. Whenever the speech intonation agreed with that of the whole song, they acknowledged the authentic origin, and where it did not agree, they recognized an interpolation of the text yet the lawyers might learn endlessly more from the psychologists about individual differences than the philologians have done they must only understand that the working of the mental mechanism in a personality depends on the constant cooperation of simple and elementary functions which the modern laboratory experiment can isolate and test if those simplest elements are understood their complex combination becomes necessary just as the whole of a geometrical curve becomes necessary as soon as its analytical formula is understood for the smallest part. But the psychological assistance ought not to be confined to the discrimination of memory types and other individual differences. The experimentalist cannot forget how abundant are the new facts of memory variations which have come out of experiments on attention and inhibition. We know and can test, with the subtlest means, the waves of fluctuating attention through which ideas become reinforced and weakened. We know, above all, the inhibitory influences which result from excitements and emotions, which may completely change the products of an otherwise faithful memory. A concrete illustration may indicate the method of the experimenters. The judge has to make up his mind as soon as there is any doubt on which side the evidence on an issue of fact preponderates. If it can be presupposed that both sides intend to speak the truth, he is ready to consider that the one side had, perhaps, a more frequent opportunity to watch the facts in question. The other side perhaps saw them more recently. The one saw them, perhaps, under especially impressive circumstances the other perhaps with further knowledge of the whole situation, and so on. Of course his Buckram-bound volumes of old decisions guide him, but those decisions report again only that the one or the other judge, relying on his common sense, thought recency more weighty than frequency, or frequency more important than impressiveness, or perhaps the opposite. It is the same way in which common sense tells a man what kind of diet is most nourishing. Yet what responsible physician would ignore the painstaking experiments of the physiological laboratory determining exactly the quantitative results as to the nourishing value of eggs or milk or meat or bread? the judges ignore the fact that with the same accuracy their common sense can be transformed into careful measurements the results of which may widely differ from haphazard opinion the psychologist of course has to reduce the complex facts to simple principles and elements an investigation devoted to this problem of the relative effectiveness of recency frequency and vividness was carried on in my psychological laboratory. Here we used simple pairs of colored papers and printed figures, or colors and words, or words and figures, or colors and forms, and so on. A series of ten such pairs may be exposed successively in a lighted field, each time one color and one figure of two digits. But one pair, perhaps the third, is repeated as the seventh, and thus impresses itself by its frequency. Another pair, perhaps the fifth, comes with impressive vividness, from the fact that instead of two digits, suddenly three are used. The last pair has, of course, the advantage in that it sticks to the mind from its position at the end. It remains the most recent, which is not inhibited by any following pair after a pause the colors are shown again and every one of the subjects has to write down the figures together with which he believes himself to have seen the particular colors is the vivid pair or the frequently repeated pair or the recent pair better remembered of course the experiment was made under most different conditions with different pauses different material different length of the series different influences different distribution, different subjects, but after some years of work facts showed themselves which can stand as facts. The relative value of the various conditions for exact recollections became really measurable. They may, and must be, corrected by further experiments, but they are raised from the first above the level of the chance opinions of the lawyer-psychologist. All this remains entirely within the limits of the normal, healthy individuality. Nothing at all that we have mentioned belongs to the domain of the physician. Where the alienist has to speak, that is, where pathological amnesia destroys the memory of the witness, or where hallucinations of disease, or fixed ideas deprive the witness's remembrance of their value, there the psychologist is not needed. It is in normal mental life and its borderland regions that the progress of psychological science cannot be further ignored. No railroad or ship company would appoint to a responsible post in its service men whose eyesight had not been tested for color blindness. There may be only one among thirty or forty who cannot distinguish at a distance the red from the green lantern yet if he slips into the service without being tested his slight defect which does not disturb him in practical life and which he may never have noticed if he was not just picking red strawberries among green leaves may be sufficient to bring about the most disastrous wrecking of two trains or the most horrible collision of steamers in the life of justice trains are wrecked and ships are colliding too often Simply because the law does not care to examine the mental color blindness of the witness's memory. And yet we have not even touched one factor, which, more than anything else, devastates memory and plays havoc with our best intended recollections that is, the power of suggestion. End of section five.